the servings and uh, we're going to uh, study uh, Romans 5 and 6 are very important. Uh, so I'm going to summarize a little uh, later, but uh, we're going to uh, read it. Uh, so first of all, uh, don't read IKKV. Uh, read uh, the real Bible. And then NRSV. And then later we'll read IKKV together. Okay? So. Five one to six twenty three. Uh, the theory that Paul discovered uh, has been uh, proven for two thousand years for the Christian lifestyle and righteous living. And so it is not really a person's uh, kind of uh, opinion or, or ideas. It has been proven for 2,000 years. And many, many Christians have followed the example uh, that Paul set out for us to follow. And as I said, Romans is the core of what, what we believe. If you're a Christian, then that's what we believe. It is a it is summary of what we believe. Uh, so uh, if you don't understand uh, Romans, then we don't understand Christianity, uh, basically. And so uh, Paul laid out how Christians uh, should uh, live. So for those who are already Christians, uh, they need to really uh, follow the example uh, that Paul set out. Uh, if you are not a Christian, then uh, you study Paul and then see whether it makes sense or not uh, for uh, your life. Right? So it is very uh, important uh, book that we are uh, studying. So uh, many uh, follow great uh, Christians, uh, St. Augustine and all these great Christians in the past two, for 2,000 years, they have appreciated uh, this book. Uh, and then they were influenced and shaped and formed and transformed uh, by this letter and by this teaching. So it is very important for us to take very serious attitude to study what Paul is really trying to say. And as you probably read it, it's a kind of lot of words and then uh, uh, you don't really uh, understand full flow of it. So uh, I have uh, written uh, my version uh, there. <clears throat> what is the result of our sins being forgiven? And we call it justified. Right? So uh, you can open uh, uh, that uh, uh, paper. We have then, what is the result of our sins being forgiven? We have peace with God. God is not anymore fearful God, ready to punish the sinners. Jesus Christ represented who God truly is. Our God is not the one who punishes the sinners, but the loving God who sacrifices even his own son to forgive the sinners. That is why we sinners can have peace with God. We are truly reconciled with God. That does not mean that we will always have happy moments. There will be suffering too. But our suffering is not God's punishment. Even our suffering will produce hope 
in us. And we'll live with hope now in all circumstances. God's love is amazing. And the amazing love was shown through Jesus Christ. While we were still weak, while we were still sinners, and while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. God's love did not depend on our righteousness. Our reconciliation with God was possible through Jesus Christ. We believe in God's faithful love shown through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. From the first place, sin, sin came into the world through one man, Adam. Somehow this sin spread all over the world. It was like a drop of ink dropped in a cup of water. The whole water became dark. The whole cup was affected and everything in the cup. But Adam was only a foreshadow of another man who will come. Adam and Jesus Christ were similar. They were both born sinless. But Adam fell into sin and brought sin into the world because of his own greed. Jesus Christ trusted God to the end and brought God's grace into the world. The grace, abound, the grace abounded. Before it was like a drop of ink dropped in a cup of water, but now it was like a drop of ink dropped in the ocean. The grace abounded and swallowed up the effect of sin brought by Adam. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's chapter 5. Chapter 6. Since I said, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, some people ridiculed me by saying, okay, then let us sin more so that grace may abound more. Grace is like ocean water and sin is like a drop of ink. Ocean water is plenty and two or three more drops of ink will not be able to darken the ocean. Abundant grace has snow? <laughs> has now yeah. okay. abundant grace has now freed us from the effect of sin sin cannot destroy us the power of sin is not there anymore to haunt us and crush us down we are not slaves of sin anymore we experience the much bigger world of God's grace yes we still sin but the sin cannot completely control us it will be our mistake to focus on our sins when they have no power over us. We do not need to empower our sins by focusing on them. We look to God and to His faithfulness to save us and to the grace released through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Alright, so... You can uh, read uh, my version and then go home and then uh, read uh, Romans uh, 5 and 6 again uh, and see whether uh, uh, it makes sense. And so it is important that we need to uh, continuously summarize what we know. And then when you summarize, I just hope that uh, that doesn't remain in your brain. I hope that it uh, uh, somehow comes down. And uh, today uh, we're talking about it at the staff staff meeting. Uh, you know, uh, our church, we, we don't uh, really even KSM too. 
uh, Korean speaking congregation, we don't really push people. Uh, really force them. If you don't do this, you're not a really chipsa, you're not an uh, elder, and you know, we don't give that kind of pressure. Uh, so we don't want to move this church with human pressure. We don't do that. Uh, but uh, when spirituality, when some people do spiritual journey, then they will do it out of their own uh, uh, voluntary desire. Uh, so they will serve much more powerfully uh, than those who are being forced by uh, position or uh, by peer pressure or anything like that. So uh, there are people who uh, appreciate the word uh, here, but we still see that the word remain in their brain rather than really translate into their lives, into their, uh, in, into their uh, heart. And it just remains in the brain. They just uh, uh, analytically just uh, uh, entertain it. And it doesn't really do uh, uh, much good. And I, I remember uh, this uh, story. Uh, Sam, a uh, black uh, man, uh, he, he was being baptized. He was a Baptist. A Baptist go to uh, the river and then they get baptized. The whole body uh, gets baptized. And then uh, the river that they went and then Sam was walking in and then uh, the, uh, the minister saw that. Oh, your wallet. Uh, uh, Sam, you forgot your wallet to take a wallet before you come in. And he said, baptize my wallet. Minister. <laughs> I mean, that kind of attitude uh, that baptize the whole thing, not just your brain, not just your heart, our whole life. Uh, that, that, that's what uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual journey uh, is uh, all about. So when we do the summary, let it sink in your uh, understanding, in your heart. So when you explain to other people, you can explain it. Romans, let me tell you. Uh, sit down. And this is what Romans is all about. I like this kind of disciples, the people who can teach others, rather than you being uh, blessed, you, that people say, this is what uh, Paul uh, taught us about Christian life. Uh, what do you think? You know, that kind of, uh, so uh, I want you to really rehearse that and understand the flow. Under, without understanding the flow, that you, you cannot really memorize it. Uh, you have to understand the flow, so whole thing. So first we uh, talked about Jews and Gentiles are no different uh, in terms of the sinfulness. What does that mean? Jews and Gentiles are no different in terms of their sinfulness. What does that mean, basically? Why is, why is it Paul saying that? Why is Paul saying that? So, so to understand that, you have to understand the reason. And then you can understand the flow. Why is, it, why is Paul narrating for two chapters, long chapters, that uh, Jews and Gentiles are no different in terms of sin, sinfulness? What is that? Why, why, why do you say that? Nobody can boast about themselves. Hmm? Nobody can boast about themselves. Okay, nobody can boast about themselves. And then what else? Because the Jews thought they had the law, mm -hmm. and therefore by obeying that law, that they were more, I guess, blessed and righteous. Yeah, okay. good, good. And then he realized they were not. They're not, yeah. Uh, okay. And anything else? That um, there's no favoritism. Uh, 
got to some favor. Uh, got to some favor yeah. over one, uh, one group of people. Yeah. Yes, it's, uh, I'll see. Yeah. Okay, the important thing here is that Paul discovered the power of sin. The power of sin is so big, so penetrating, so deep that no one can uh, say that I'm okay. So, of course, Jews were a little better than uh, Gentiles in terms of uh, you know their lifestyle on that, all that, uh, all that. But power of sin is so big that uh, it doesn't matter really. There's no difference, uh, you and me, uh, kind of. So, uh, you know, I, uh, let's say. Uh, like Simon. Simon is a little taller than me. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> but when somebody goes up to CN Tower and sees Simon and me, when you look at me, he's a little taller and more handsome than me. But uh, when you go up to the CN Tower and sees both of us, they're dot. <laughs> Just dot. Right? Like that. Just Paul found the power of sin. So, just because you're a little bit righteous, you're boasting about that? And you're thinking that you're better than others, and you're chosen ones, and then you are you have salvation, and they don't have salvation. You don't know the first thing about uh, sin. You don't know the first thing about the death of sin. And then we always do that. Oh, I'm better than her. Oh, I'm better than him. You know, I'm uh, at least you know I don't lie. You know, I don't go to church, but at least I'm uh, whatever. You know, all kinds of uh, justification we are making for ourselves. Are we any better in any way? than other people. What Paul is saying is no. There's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. So Paul discovered the power of sin. The power of sin. Uh, and how dominating that power of sin is. So that first two chapters, he basically narrates that. Jews had a law, but the law could not help them be righteous. They had a law, but the law could not make them more righteous. And then St. Paul discovered that in himself. The law, he was flawless, but the law could not make him more righteous. Rather, he was doing something against God. Uh, directly against God. So he discovered that. Okay, then, Okay, first he narrates this uh, total depravity. 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 Total depravity. Total corruption. Total from top to bottom, he discovered. And the law could not help. And our works could not help. Our effort could not help. Our conscience could not help. You know? You think you have so much conscience, but the, even that conscience cannot help. Nothing can help. Then Paul's next question is, then we have no hope. That's, that's the next point. 
corruption, total powerfulness of the law, I mean, of the sin and total powerlessness of human beings. And then we have no hope to be righteous. That's the next question. And then Paul realized that from the first place, from the first place, we are not supposed to become righteous by the law or our works. He realized that. It's not that all of a sudden we realize that we cannot do that with the law, so there has to be some, something else. It's not like that. It's not that God changed his mind to send Jesus Christ. No. From the first place, from right from the beginning, when God called Abraham, and then he, when he began all this salvation work, because Abraham is the beginning of that salvation work of God. And right from the beginning, God wanted Abraham to become righteous by faith, not by works. Even Abraham became the father of many nations and Jewish nation by his faith, not by works, not by credits that uh, he uh, had. That then I define God's righteousness is God's desire and God's work to save us. That's righteousness, Paul discovered. God's desire and work to save us. And Abraham believed that God had a good will for him and for his future. Abraham believed that. Abraham believed that God's promise would be fulfilled, not because of him, but because of God's faithfulness. So justification is not, oh, okay, I did, I've done everything right. That's not what justification is. No. Many times we think that, oh, I did anything wrong. I've done everything right. So I'm justified. No, that's not justification. Paul thinks that that's all. What is it? Huh? What? Rubbish. Rubbish. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> Who's, whose brother are you? <laughs> Just rubbish. You think you're justified? You think you're any better? You think you're all right? That's rubbish. You're just rhetoric. You just sound good. You just make yourself look good. But you are not. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying. Abraham had nothing, but he only believed that God's righteousness somehow, that righteousness, his desire to save us will be fulfilled because of his Love because of his faithfulness, not because of me. And Abraham trusted that. Apart from his righteousness, he trusted that righteousness of God. And then Paul realized, Paul realized that, oh, then, right from the beginning, God had that intention but at what point have we been misguided? From what point 
have we been misguided? Because he sees himself, I am totally misguided. And all my colleagues were misguided. All my people, Israeli people, are misguided. How have, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. Here. Uh -huh. up here. Because the kids are playing with them. God wants to come down this way. And then, where, from where, at what point have we been misguided? That's what Paul was thinking. And that's why Jesus Christ came to start what Abraham began. So to Paul, why Jesus Christ came was very important. Why did Jesus have to come? Jesus had to come to begin what Abraham began. Because Jesus believed like Abraham believed. What Abraham began Jesus finished. What God began in Abraham, God accomplished it in Jesus Christ. So, because of this, Jesus Christ had to come to show to the people again that only by believing God's promise that you can be saved. The good news that was shown through Jesus Christ was that God never abandons us. God continuously works out his salvation for human beings. We are sinful and we can never achieve righteousness on our own, but there is God's loving desire to save us. Now we have to believe that for God's salvation to work in us. If God's salvation is going to work in us, we have to believe that. Jesus died faithfully, trusting that loving desire of God. That's why he died. To, to the end he trusted that God's promise and God's loving desire will be fulfilled. And only by faith we can do that. People did not accept that God alone can bring about salvation. Instead of trying so hard on our own, we need to be connected to God by trusting God's love for us. As Jesus always looked to God, we need to look to God. Okay, let me give you an example. I don't want to use anybody here. Uh, let's say, somebody, somebody did wrong to me. Somebody did wrong to me. And then, because uh, I love that person very much, and I want that person to live freely, because that person right now lives in deep guilt 
because of the wrong that person did to me. And then I see that and I had a pity and a compassion for that person. So I approached that person. You know, I've known you for a long time and I love you and I wish that uh, you could uh, live freely without thinking about the wrong that you did to me. Yes, it hurt me at that time, but I'm okay. I'm willing to take that hurt. I want you to uh, go free now from that guilt and sin because I want you to live a good life. I say all that. That person, sit down. Hmm. This guy, what does he have in mind now? What is he trying to do? If that person thinks like that, that that person's guilt will never disappear. That person will live for the rest of his or her life with that guilt. But if that person understands my love, and then that person, oh, Osani really loves, loved me, and I didn't know that. And then I uh, uh, realized that deep love and accept that, and from that point on, that sin does not have effect on that person anymore. That sin is forgiven. That person did not do anything to deserve my forgiveness or to be righteous from that sin that that person committed. But because, simply because that person believed my loving desire, that's God's righteousness. Loving desire, that person now lives freely, free from sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why accepting somebody's love? Why accepting God's righteousness? Why accepting God's loving desire to save us? Why accepting and believing God is important? Because that from that moment, the sin does not have effect on me anymore. Does not have domination on me anymore. So believing is not just simple stuff. It's a trusting. It's a trusting. <clears throat> so trusting or faith in God's loving desire is important for the forgiveness of God to be effective in us. So, brokenness, brokenness is what saves us. Not boasting, oh, I've done this, I've done that. You know, I just, generally, I'm okay guy, okay person. That doesn't save you, but brokenness. Pharisee and tax collector, the difference. Pharisee, oh, I do tithing twice a week. I, uh, 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 the, the, what is it, fast? You know, these <laughs> words don't come out, you know? Sign of age. You know? It's like in a modern version. Oh, yeah, I uh, do three times a week, I do exercise. And then, and then uh, 10%, uh, I give a donation to the uh, poor people. And then once a week, I go to uh, the, you know, the food bank and I help out. You know, I don't go to church, but I do all these things. That doesn't 
may any person be saved. Whether you're a church person or not. And tax collector, I'm a sinner. He cannot even look up to God. He looked at him. I'm a sinner. And then all he said, could say was, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And Jesus said, he went down justified. He became saved. That brokenness. That brokenness. Understanding human frailty. So, without honesty, salvation is not possible. You have to be truly honest to ourselves. Who you are. You don't have to tell. It's too much to you. You don't have to tell who you are. But you have to be honest to yourself. Instead of continuously covering up that frailty, human wickedness, human weaknesses. All of this, if you are not honest, then salvation, you don't even desire. Martin Luther, why what, was he able to change through Romans? Because he was so disturbed by his own sin. Almost every hour he went to the senior priest and confessed. And senior priest, don't come anymore. Because he was truly honest with himself. And then he discovered the grace. Only then, grace is possible. Okay, now let us look at chapter 5. loving desire, we have become justified. We have become justified. Then, how do people who are justified now, how should people live? The people who are justified. How should they live? That's Paul's question in chapter 5. Now, you are justified by God, but how should we live? And that's John John Chung's question last week. What are they like? What are they like? The, the people who are justified, what are they like? How, what is the characteristic of their life? What, what do they do? Do they go to church? Uh, do they become a more better person? Or uh, do they become rich? Uh, what do they do? What, what is their life like? And Paul's answer is verse 1. When you look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we have peaceful relationship with God. We don't fear God anymore. We don't fear God anymore. When you were not justified, you had lots of fear about God for the punishment of our sins. Oh, if I do this, how God will punish me. So they come to church, you know, diligently so that they don't get punished. Or they do all the good works so that they don't get punished. They are not, I mean, people have been running away from God. But now we don't have to. We don't have to run away from God. Now we enjoy our relationship with God. And peace, that is a characteristic. Now you have peace with God. You know, when you have a problem with somebody, then you don't want to see that. Let's say you had a fight uh, with somebody, and somebody did wrong to you, whatever, uh, or you did wrong, you don't want to see that. But once it is reconciled, then it's all right. You can see that. You can meet that. You, you, you restore the peaceful relationship. In the same way, with God, peaceful relationship is established. Not only peaceful relationship, but we have an access to the grace of God. You have an access to the grace of God. The second uh, part, through whom we have ob obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. You got that? Right there, right? We have an access to the grace of God. So if you want, now you have access to the grace of God. You can go to grace of God. When you commit sin, you can go to grace of God because there's access, access to it. It's a, the door is open now. You don't have to struggle by yourself. There is uh, forgiveness there. There's a grace, power of grace uh, there. How should we live, Christians? How should we live? How do we live? We live with hope. We live with hope. That's what Christians uh, live by. We live with hope. We don't, we don't go into despair. We live with hope. We should live with hope. Our boasting is not ourselves. Our boasting is in our hope, the scripture says. Our boasting is in our hope. Our faith in God produces hope in us. So Christians always hopeful. Even when they fail, even when they are at the bottom of their life, they still have hope. It's not that they are uh, they are better than other people. It's not that it's not that they don't make mistakes, but they always have hope. They live with hope. So, this time I want you to discuss together uh, this question. What is your relationship with God right now? 
What is your relationship with God? It's just uh, uh, comf- uh, relationship that you have comfortable distance. You know, God, you be there. Uh, I'll be here. And then once in a while, I'll visit you. Uh, or are you really scared of God? That God may do something uh, horrible? because of your wickedness? Uh, Or are you running away from God? I don't want to think about God's question. But underneath, what is that? Why do you do that? So what is, how do you see God? Discuss together. And then another question, how does hope work in your life? How does hope work in your life? How important is hope? Uh, in uh, leading your lives. So uh, these uh, two questions I want you to discuss together. We have lots of judgment so tired and <laughs> sleepy. So discuss together. We could have a retreat and then give you lots of time to talk. But I'd like to have about three discussion uh, sessions uh, tonight. So uh, yeah. Uh, we don't have much time, so uh, I'll go. See, when you have faith in God, hope uh, becomes natural consequence. When you have faith in God, you wait with hope. Because you have faith in the promise of God. And then you wait uh, with hope that promise to be fulfilled. So, hope is not something uh, that you decide. Uh, you cannot decide hope. Uh, if you don't have hope, you don't have hope. When you have hope, you can have hope. When you don't have hope, you don't have hope. You cannot create hope. You cannot make a mind about hope. Hope is something is there or not. Uh, so, but when you have relationship with God, when you have faith and promise of God, then hope becomes uh, the uh, the natural result. But Paul is saying, even suffering produces hope. That's what he says. Suffering does not uh, lead you in despair. So, suffering does not crush you. Now suffering even intensifies your hope. And that is a, a confession of many great Christians. Even Nelson Mandela. Uh, the man who was in prison for 27 years uh, after he was, uh, after 27 years, he became a bigger man. That 27 years of hope, 27 years of waiting. So Christian, suffering for us is a waiting time. Uh, we are suffering. Suffering is, we are not exempted from suffering. Suffering is a part of our life. Suffering is not God's punishment. You suffer, but that's not God's punishment. But that suffering even produces Hope, it intensifies uh, the hope. That's what uh, Paul uh, is saying. And then after that, he talks about uh, he talks about amazing love of God. He talks about the characteristic of love of God. What does love of God look like? God did not love the lovable. God did not accept the acceptable. 
God did not make friendship with friends. God loved the unlovable. God accepted the unacceptable. And God made friendship with the enemies. I mean, when you look at it, uh, when you look at uh, the, uh, verse 5, uh, uh, 5, 6 to 11, I uh, put them a while, right? Uh, bold and italic, right? While, while, while. While we were still weak, while we are still sinners, while we are enemies. So, God's love is not that, okay, Bob, I want you to shape up and be this. Then I will love you. That's not God's love. When you're down there, God loves you. That's what God's love is like. But this is kind of love that we don't experience in the world. In the world, we love the lovable. Oh, that guy always talks too much. I don't want to be around him. You know? I mean, we cannot show him. I mean, we, can, we cannot love that person. I mean, we love the lovable. We accept the, un uh, we accept the acceptable. You know? Oh, that person is not really a believer. He just comes to church and always talks some critical things and I don't like it. You know, we, that's a human attitude, worldly attitude. But God's love is not like that. God accepts while we are sinners. God accepts us while uh, we uh, fail. While we are enemies with, uh, with God. God still loves. That is a characteristic of God's love. Very, very different. And then uh, he, he brings about uh, Adam. He went to Abraham, but now he goes further. Abraham began, what, what did Abraham begin? Israel, but Abraham began, began what? Abraham began God's salvation work, right? He chose Abraham, and from before Abraham was a prehistory, from Abraham, Historically, God chose this one man, and through him, he wants to save the whole world. So, God, Abraham was the beginning of God's salvation work. But what, what is Adam? What is uh, his beginning? Paul is saying, then where did that sin come from? From the first place. That's why he uh, brought uh, Adam. And then, simply speaking, uh, very simply speaking, Adam's sin is like it's like drop of ink. You drop it in a cup of uh, water, uh, black. Then the whole water becomes black. Every particle of the water is uh, influenced uh, by this drop of uh, ink, and that's what Adam's sin. Uh, he sees Adam's sin in that way. Adam's sin, but it was not just his sin. He, uh, his sin somehow spread to the uh, whole world. And then, then how, and then uh, he's talking about how then one man who is uh, uh, like Adam, but different from Adam, Adam was sinless when he was born. I mean, when he was made, uh, he was sinless. In the same way, Jesus was sinless when he was born. Uh, but Adam fell into sin because of greed. 
uh, failure and anger because he wanted to be like God. Greed, uh, he fell into sin. But Jesus was faithful to the end. And then Adam brought sin into the world. And what did Jesus bring into the world? God's love and God's grace. Jesus brought in God's grace. So, okay, there is, there is a drop of ink and it made uh, this water very dark. What Jesus did was not really somehow touched it and all the ink, uh, one drop of ink disappeared and became white. It's not like that. What Jesus did was, what Jesus did was, it was a, uh, uh, dark water, you took it, you take it, go to the ocean, and pour it into the ocean. That dark water disappears. It, it's not that sin disappeared. Sin is still there. But its effect is not there anymore. Another, uh, actually, Buddhist uh, Story is a similar in uh, in that way. Uh, uh, one uh, uh, person, uh, the junior monk, uh, the senior monk, and the junior monk came. Uh, uh, you know, he talked about, it, he complained all that, and then he uh, gave uh, this much of salt, put it into water in a cup, so drink it. And here, how does it taste? Very salty. Yeah, he salted, it, right? And then he uh, took it, it come down. And he went to the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the lake, huge lake. Okay, pour that uh, salt, uh, uh, of water into the lake. Yeah, and then uh, now drink it. How does it taste? It's not salty, it's just water. That doesn't mean the salt is not there. That much salt is still there. The ink did not disappear, but effect of ink disappeared. Uh, the grace, Jesus Christ brought in grace. The grace is much, much bigger than uh, the drop of ink. A drop of ink cannot overcome the abundance of grace, the power of grace. Because grace, that's what the Paul meant. When sin increases, grace uh, increases. Okay? The grace is so big that the power of sin does not affect you anymore. Before, you only look at sin. Because sin, you're obsessive with sin. Whether you're guilty or you enjoy it, whatever, you're just, you're looking at sin all the time. But when you experience that grace of God, you don't think about sin anymore. That doesn't mean that you are sinless. No, you still sin. But that does not really have a grip on you. That's a, that does not uh, crush you. That does not make you dis, uh, despair. Because you look at the grace of God now. And that grace is so much bigger than the sin that, that uh, you're committing. And that much of grace and we don't experience 
that grace, so we put grace and the sin at the same level. That's why it's hard to understand. But grace is so much bigger, so much more abundant than uh, the power uh, of sin. And so, ridiculous uh, thing uh, people say, okay, so then, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. So, why don't we sin more, so that there will be more grace, you know? I mean, they kind of made fun of Paul's theory, but actually raised a serious issue. People thought that Paul's theory made people sin more. People don't sin, but there's a fear of punishment. But when there's no fear of punishment, people will sin more. So, what do you think? Discuss. <laughs> so, I mean, it's acceptable. I mean, we have to do that uh, to control that. Uh, Paul is saying, yes, it is true. If we are still in bondage to our sins, then it is true. Uh, There's a way to control that. But by being awakened to the grace of Jesus Christ, we enter into the new world. All desire is crucified with Christ on the cross, and we are entering into the new world. So, if we are just, as a sinful world, if you are dealing with it, yeah, it makes sense. But as you experience the grace of God, that it changes. That you are free, not for sin. You are free from sin. So, that effect the power that you have is not there anymore. But we're continuously focusing on sin, sin, and sin. Then you're bound by it. You're totally bound by it. And then that's what law did. Law intensified our eyes on sin. Instead of taking that person out of that and into the world of grace, law kept pushing that person down to the simple. So if you continuously think about sin, whether your sin or other people's sin, and then you gaze upon that, then you can never be free from that sin. But when you look to God, when you look to God's grace, only then the amount of grace will overcome the power and effect of sin and you have new desire to serve God, to love God, and to follow God. So desire has changed. Uh, about 30 years ago, there's a guy called David. Uh, his name is Turbo. He's a drummer. 
One day he came to me at the retreat and he, he asked me, Moksanin, is there a drum in heaven? <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> I don't want to cross you know, <laughs> the whole world. I mean, he was there, all day he was playing drum, all night he was playing If he goes to heaven, he wants to play drum. If it, drum is not there, I don't want to go there. You know? yeah. If I ask him now, I don't think he will really care whether there's a drum in heaven or not. His desire has changed. You, you're small and oh, I want to have this, I want to have that, and agreed, and then you're playing around your, your own, oh, I'm luscious, I'm, you know, I'm looking good, and then all this, you know, you live around, around there. And then all of a sudden you realize, you see the bigger world, you're not that important. How cool you are, it's not that important anymore, you know? So that's why Bob doesn't do hair anymore. <laughs> it's not that important anymore. It's your Bob, not You see the big world. You know, I mean, you become bigger. You become bigger. When you experience grace of God, you become a bigger person. You don't, you're not bound by little small things uh, in your life. That's what grace does. That's how we overcome our own sinfulness, our own smallness, that you experience the amazing grace of God, abundant uh, grace of God. So five, six, I mean, this is basically what Paul is trying to uh, communicate and say. And then next week, we are going to study Seven and eight. And menu is. Really? Okay, next week is Oden. Today is Jajangyeon. Okay. Let's pray together. Lord, how wonderful it is to gather together and share our insights and reflection, struggles, and also learn from the insights of St. Paul who have, who, that have influenced so many people in history. Help us, O Lord, to reflect on what we studied today and how we can overcome our own sinfulness within us. Help us, O oh Lord, experience how big the grace is within us. Do we experience that magnitude of God's grace? Or do we still live in our own self-righteousness? Help us, O oh Lord, to experience the amazing power of God's grace that is working within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.